Well, one thing I, I notice is that, and this may seem obvious, but um, you're all men. Vanessa, see, we had a men's breakfast advertised, and no ladies showed up. So we don't seem to have gender confusion in our church yet. So we're, I'm thankful for that, you know. Sadly, in this world, that's not the case, is it? We have a lot of uh, what they call two, two different things that are big problems. One is gender confusion, where you have uh, people believing that, uh, yes, we're born with a certain biology, but that as far as your identity, you don't have to identify with uh, what your biology is. So there are men and women, but then there are people who are men who I say that I identify as a female, and, uh, it's, and it gets real complicated from there. You have uh, people identifying as one thing, they're attracted to somebody who's either opposite sex or same sex, or, you know, it just gets really confusing. But we're gonna deal with massive confusion for a long time. It's very important that the church has a, a biblical way of thinking through all this. Another thing that's uh, different that uh, we have to deal with is something called toxic masculinity. Masculinity, anybody heard of that terminology? Uh, you know, really there's no such thing as toxic masculinity. You know, there's masculinity, which is male characteristics, and there is femininity, which are feminine characteristics. You know, and it's really interesting. I mean, when I look at all of you today, I you look like men. You look like males to me, you know. And we may not be able to quantify in detail all the facets of what a man a man looks like or a woman looks like, but generally we can tell the difference, can't we? Uh, and a lot of it does have to do with biology. You know, generally, men are stronger, larger, um, tougher physically. Uh, women are are more uh, of the softer, weaker, they're going to be smaller, general. And there's a lot of general speaking that we can talk about, but it's usually been obvious to almost every culture uh, that in all of human civilization. It's usually when this confusion starts, you see the decline of civilizations, even in the Roman Empire. What happens with the toxic masculinity is, is masculinity has certain characteristics and then when you add sin to that, obviously you get something that's toxic or poisonous or, or bad or evil. And so uh, what our society seems to focus on is men who are too aggressive or you know, sexual violence done to women and um, pride. Just every, every way that selfishness and sinfulness can manifest itself with a man, but you know, then there's also toxic femininity if that's the case, right? But the world uses these uh, sinful expressions of masculinity then to shame men in general. So you see the emasculation of men, you see the feminization of men, and you see men that uh, are seen as buffoons and uh, you know, every TV show and commercial and um, movie uh, tends to make women more of the, the stronger sex, the, the more intelligent. You know, and it, it really is escalating, too, isn't it? Some of my favorite 
TV shows throughout the ages were uh, detective shows or police shows, these kinds of things, and and all of a sudden uh, now you have like one like with MacGyver, you know, you have uh, you had MacGyver uh, is this he's a little bit geeky, you know, he's he's really uh, just ingenious in his ability to put things together and uh, to make you know the most amazing weapons and things like that out of uh, you know a toothbrush and a plastic bottle or something like that, but. But I noticed he had a, a male partner in his uh, in his work, and then all of a sudden that guy's gone, and now you have like four women who are all stronger, gifted in martial arts or whatever you know that uh, have to kind of take the place. You know, and you think about the Avengers series. Now who's the most powerful Avenger in our modern day uh, Avenger series? It's Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, when I was a kid, in comic books was a man. But now Captain Marvel is a woman. So you can just see the, the continuous change. You have role reversals. But God made man and woman. He made two biological sexes. But people are not only male and female because of their biology, because of their plumbing. God designed for men and women to have distinct and complementary roles. They have a, a certain calling. Men and women, neither is superior to the other. Both are created in the image of God. Each has their God-given abilities and calling. Men are called, if you, if you study men throughout the Bible, men are called to lead protect and provide. Those are three aspects of your manhood that should be something you think through. You're to be a leader, you're to be a protector, and you're to be a provider. Men are designed to initiate things. Women are called to respond to that, to, to help that calling that men have, to, to nurture and to follow. <coughs> Men are supposed to initiate leadership. They're to initiate provision, initiate protection. And what we're going to see here in this passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, and I have the verse at the top of your page, the two verses at the top of your page. We're going to see five characteristics of what men are to be like, what a godly man is to be like. At the heart of mature manhood is a God-given sense, a God-given disposition or inclination that the primary responsibility lies with Him when it comes to initiating leadership, protection, and provision. And I want us to look at this passage today and see what a Christian man ought to be and read along there as I read it out loud. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Who's the epitome of being a man? Jesus Christ. So it's good for us as we look at each one of these to, to think about Him in relationship to this as well. 
What is it like to be like Jesus? We'll see that he epitomizes each one of these characteristics. The first one that I want to challenge you with today is for you to be a watchman. And, and young men, boys, if you're here today, this is maybe going to be one of the most important messages that you have because it's going to apply to your whole life. Uh, we, I want to capture your mind of what, is, what it means to be a man and what it means to be a godly Christian man. First of all, be a watchman. Be a watchman. He says, be on the alert. It is your responsibility to be in constant readiness. So a watchman is uh, you know, somebody who's, who's watching out for something. You know, uh, Thinking about superheroes, there's a group called the Watchmen. Now, they're not people that I condone their behavior too much. They're vigilante type of... Uh, Watchmen, but but the concept there of, of watching out for people, watching out for crime, for people doing uh, bad things. This term that he has here, be on the alert. This is a military term, it refers to being on guard with constant readiness, and he uses it in a spiritual sense. The Christian life of a man needs to be one of alertness, being ready. Being on the watch. You can't be somebody who just goes through life in a lazy state or a, a, a spiritually drunken state. We're to be awake. We're to be alert to what's going on all around us. We should be in a state of constant readiness for our families. You know, what are the attacks? What are the things that could usurp godliness and Christianity in our homes? You know, what are the sinful attacks that are coming? We should be in a state of readiness for our church. What are the attacks that are coming on our churches? At your job, at your in society at large. There are four main ways that the New Testament teaches us that we should be on the alert. He uses this terminology throughout the New Testament. And the first is spiritual warfare. In 1 Peter 5 8, it says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have an adversary. It's easy for us to become complacent, to almost forget that we have an adversary, but every single day, Satan wants to kill you. Every single day, he wants to destroy your family. He wants you to commit adultery, men. He wants you to look at pornography. He wants you to steal he wants you to be abusive toward your spouse and toward your children. He wants you, teenagers and younger men, to, uh, to disobey your authorities. He wants you to get a spirit of rebellion within you. We need to learn to fight our adversary, the devil, the way Jesus did. We need to be able to alert with the Word of God in our minds, in our hearts, Jesus at every moment in Matthew chapter 4, when he was tempted, he responded with the Word of God. Now, obviously one of the greatest defenses against the devil is going to be prayer. The second way in which we're to be alert, according to the New Testament, is in prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, 
With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude, with a, an attitude of thanksgiving. And Mark 14.38 says, Keep watching and praying that you may not come to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're taught over and over and over that we should be alert in prayer. We should be keeping on praying, constantly ready in prayer. Yet sadly, that's one of the, the lowest priorities in many of our lives. It's, it's hard to convince yourself, just from a human perspective, that going somewhere and spending time on your knees talking to someone that you don't see is actually accomplishing something. But that's where faith comes in. To see that a true man of God has the faith that he not only talks to someone that he doesn't see, God, but that he loves him. That he has a relationship with him. And I challenge you, men, that we've got to be people who are on the alert with prayer. You know, Jesus did this, didn't he? Jesus prayed for others. He spent time in prayer. Matthew 19, verse 13 says, Then little ch the little children were brought to him, and Jesus laid his hands on them and prayed for them. He prayed for children. Are you men, are you praying for your children? Jesus prayed for others and prayed with others. Luke 9, 28 says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and went up onto the mountain to pray. Do you have men in your life that you pray with? It would be, be a, an awesome thing to do is just to get together and pray with somebody. You know, don't be somebody who goes it alone. Have other people to pray with you. Get some prayer partners in this room right now. You have other men that are around you and you can just say, hey, would you be my prayer partner? We can text each other some prayer requests. But we need to be praying. Jesus prayed regularly. Luke 5, 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I don't know where your place is that you like to pray. I like to go and walk on the beach and just pour up my heart to God. There, there have been some tremendously difficult things that have gone on in my life um, with, with my children. I've got eight children. You can imagine, you know, and uh, I only have, in, in fact, I don't have any that are not at least a teenager. So I've had eight teenagers, you know, and now uh, interacting with adult children. You know, parenting never stops. You have to learn how to adapt to uh, new situations, and you're constantly learning. But you've got to have a place where you pray. You know, sometimes I, I find myself just praying and pouring out my heart to God with tears on my pillow. Uh, sometimes when I lived over in Brandon, I would, there were so many trials and so many issues in the church and family, you know, Myers' dad passing away and my dad passed away within one summer and moving people, moving adults, uh, our parents into assisted living facilities and, you know, just so many things that are just the normal trials of life. So many of you have been through maybe far, far worse than I have. But you can't go through all these things without prayer, without a prayer life. 
And so, you know, I want to challenge you as a young man, you know, the youngest here, start praying. You've got to pray for your wife if you're married. You've got to pray for your children. You've got to pray for your job. Pray for the unbelievers in your life. That's the only way they're going to be saved is, is through prayer. God, God wants us to use the Word in prayer. Prayer in the Word. Prayer in the Word. Prayer in the Word. We've got to be alert also to false teachers. Well, you say, well, that's just for the pastor, right? No. Satan is an adversary. He is wanting to devour you in regard to your own personal belief, your family's beliefs, and your church's beliefs. In Acts chapter 20, verses 29-31, Paul said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from your own selves... Men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. <coughs> Satan is a roaring lion, and false teachers, he says, are savage wolves. This, this imagery is to make us stand up and take notes, right? I mean, you just think how negligent you would be if they told you that a lion and savage wolves have escaped from the, the uh, zoo and uh, they're roaming around your neighborhood and you just said, well, I'm just going to ignore that. Yeah, kids go out and play. You know, honey, you know, go ahead and take your walk. You know, nothing's going to happen. You know, your dogs are out in the yard with the, the gate open. You know, it would be foolish, wouldn't it? But how much more so, how much more is at stake spiritually? And yet, we're not ready a lot of times. Do you know, could you recognize false teaching if you heard it? Do you really know the truth? Are you a student of the Word? Are you, you know, I commend all of you for being here today. But a lot of times it's hard to get men to actually come and participate when the Word of God is taught. But you need to be diligently, you know, he says, night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Because he knew that false teachers were going to come in after him and they were going to try to confuse them lead them away, and people, this is this happens. We have a, a pretty large church compared to most, and there are false teachers that show up here. And we need people who are watchmen, people who are alert. We need 10 or 20 of you guys to notice that there's somebody propagating some kind of false doctrine. The greatest use of the term alert is used for being alert to the coming of Christ. Having a, an eternal and a future perspective and, and living every moment as if Jesus is coming today. Listen to these. Matthew 24, 42 says, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day our Lord is coming. Matthew 25, 13. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. 
Mark 13, 33. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, listen to these few verses, or six verses. It says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. We've got to be the elite, the leaders, the initiators that keep everybody else vigilant and understanding. You know, when you wake up in the morning, that may be the last day. You know, we, and we should want that. We should want Jesus to come back. Amen? Amen. And we, we, should, we want to be with Him. We, we want Him to take care of all of this brokenness, all of this sinfulness that we see. We want to live in a new heavens and a new earth with our Lord and Savior where there's perfection. But right now we need to have this uh, holy discontent with the way things are. We have to live here like that. But we need to give people hope, right? There's hope in the coming of Christ. But there's also an urgency, a sense of urgency. So every single day, we should live with that anticipation. But it's our job to, to make sure people understand that. Okay, so that's the first one. Some of these are, the first couple are going to spend more time on, so don't start looking at your watches and say, boy, that one took an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the second one is the second thing I call you to do today or to be is a rock. <clears throat> be a rock. The passage in the next command that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, stand firm in the faith. Picture here is somebody standing as opposed to sitting or lying down. Figuratively, he uses it to, to mean that you, you're a rock in your beliefs and your convictions. That you have a set of beliefs, that you stand firm in those beliefs. You know what you believe and you are convicted of it. You, you are going to fight for what you believe. You're going to be a rock for your family in regard to what is true. You'll be a rock in the church in regard to what is sound doctrine. We need people that are steady. Steady in the storm. Steady uh, in encouraging and exhorting and challenging. Your, your children need to be able to look at you now and later and say, my dad was rocked. He stood firm. He never wavered in all of the, the onslaught of false teaching and society changing and you know, all this gender confusion, political issues. There's going to be all kinds of societal changes that are going to come and go fast and false doctrine, ideologies, philosophies. But we need men who will just stand for what is true and persevere. Do you know what you believe? A lot of times we're content with just the basics. You know, oh yeah, you know, I know God's Trinity, I know salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you know. 
And that's good. You do well. But we're to excel still more. We're to keep on learning and growing and deepening our faith and our knowledge of God. We're supposed to be growing in the knowledge of God, right? Have you grown in the knowledge of God? When's the, when's the last time you, you thought of something new in regard to the Word of God? You're challenged with the belief. Now, obviously, there's going to be some things that are more important than other things in regard to our belief. Some things are more clear than others in the Scriptures. But we need to know it. We need to know the Word of God and stand firm in it. This terminology of standing firm is used several times in the New Testament as well. And the first way we're to stand firm is in our relationship with the Lord. In Philippians 4.1 it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. The first test 3.8 says, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. That's what you've got to be a rock in, is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That your wife would say, my husband's a rock. He's steady. He believes. He, he knows the truth. He leads our family in reading scripture or, or reading books that have to do with uh, different things we need to grow in and learn regarding uh, family life. Now, this has been something that, you know, just like your prayer life, is always going to be a battle because Satan's always going to be against you. Your flesh is always going to be against you. Leading in, in your family in scripture and in growing in the knowledge of the Lord is always going to be a challenge. <clears throat> Believe it or not, you're going to have resistance from your kids. Right. You're going to have resistance of yourself. You may have resistance from your, your spouse, but you know, you're going to have resistance from your kids as well. But don't give up. It's so easy to get worn down and just beaten down by the resistance. The resistance of the world and how, how your job makes it so difficult because of the time you put in how tired you are at the end of the day and it's hard to manage it's hard to manage life but we have to really major on what's important it's vital for your children to know and be introduced to the scriptures and a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ one thing that, uh, that we do uh, just have to keep on coming up with a new tactic, a new thing you know, we, we, we might Try when I was young and naive, young dad, and I, had, I thought that you know all my little kids would just sit right there and be still and let me preach to them. You know, <laughs> how'd that work out for you? Yeah. Well, I couldn't get the church to listen to me and preach to them, so let alone my kids. Um, so, you know, as they grow, you have to start thinking of new things. You know, well, what's another time maybe I could read to them or. What are some creative ways I can get the scripture into their lives? You know, right now, we have a situation where right after dinner, we're able to read a book together and we pray. Man, it's just it's working out. But if it doesn't, I still I can't just give up. I've got to try something else. We're also to stand firm in what we believe. That's kind of what we've talked about already. But let me just read you some scriptures that, that emphasize this. 2 Corinthians 1.24 says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. 
2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we're to be people who are seen as standing firm, being a rock and fighting the good fight. We're also supposed to stand firm for unity in the church. Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of your faith that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We need, we need people to be a rock in the church. We need men who are firm and faithful and fighting. You stand firm, you're faithful to the Word of God, and you are in the good fight with us. And we're a band of brothers, standing shoulder to shoulder, arms locked, in defense of the truth. So many people see the, the church in such a consumer fashion. You know, that, that this is just an organization, that you join an organization, or I don't even have to join the organization. I just be there. I can just take advantage of all the stuff that they offer me. They have these men's breakfasts. I like to come to those. I don't like to come on Wednesday night. I don't like to come on Sunday morning uh, for the BFG, but I like coming to uh, the worship service. But then, you know, the sermon's getting longer and longer, that music. I'd rather have another music. There's another church down here that's a little smaller uh, and more intimate. And so, you know, and I like the preacher's personality there. Man, he's really, you know, just more entertaining. And so I'm going to go down there or, you know, well, I'll go there for a while. And, yeah, well, there's somebody who offended me, so I'm going to this place. What a bunch of whiners and complainers we have as men. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. When, when a lot of times when people say they're going to leave the church, you know, I used to be, you know, I, I used to be of the mindset that I want to do everything I can to keep the person from leaving the church. If people are dissatisfied, if there's something going wrong, then then I want to try to help them, and, and I still do want to do that. But I've learned a lot of times that when somebody is just so dissatisfied and complaining, that it's better to just say, "God bless you." Amen. <laughs> I hope you find some place that can actually please you. We need people who are fighting for unity in the church. We're standing together. We're, we're rocks. We're firm. We, we love the church. And the church is not the building. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. It's a living thing. We're the body of Christ. Yes, we need men to be that way. You need to teach your, your young men, your children, to... To love the church. We're also to stand firm in uh, spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 11 says, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Earlier we said that we're to be alert. Well, if you're going to be alert and run, well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, not, that's not any good, right? We're to be alert and stand firm against the devil. It's our responsibility. Now, how are you going to stand firm? I, I don't want you just to have a bunch of uh, male strength that you're able to gather up and I'm just going to defeat the, the devil in my own strength. 
the last way that the Bible uses stand firm is in the grace of God. 1 Peter 5.12 says, Through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Earlier in that same passage, in verse 10 of 1 Peter 5, it says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We need the grace of God to do this. We're totally dependent upon the power that He gives us to be somebody who is a rock, to be somebody who is alert. And it says there that He will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So we need to be people who are standing firm on the grace of God. My third exhortation here comes from uh, verse 13. Be a hero. Be a hero. Paul says, act like men. It translates the Greek word andrizomai. Andras is man. And drizzlemai means act like a man. In the, you know, we might ask, what does this mean? Does it just mean be mature? Some people have interpreted that to say, well, act like a man, not like a child. But when you see this word used in ancient Greek literature, uh, Herodotus uses it to refer to manly qualities. He talks about manly qualities of strength and courage. That's how Josephus uses it as well. It's also used of a woman who tried to disguise herself like a man. Just think about that for a minute. There's a woman who can disguise herself as a man. So that must mean that women and men are different. <laughs> you know? When he says act like a man, uh, it's he's incorporating the usage that was in the Old Testament. For Israel, it was pretty clear what a man and a woman was. Uh, Deuteronomy 22.5, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. There are unique qualities that make a man and a woman to be distinct. God designed men that are comparatively stronger, faster, more aggressive initiators, protectors, providers, and leaders. And the Greek translation in the Old Testament, when this word is used in the Old Testament translation of the Hebrew, which is called the Septuagint, it means be courageous. Acting like a man is synonymous with being courageous. And often it's used to describe acts of heroism, heroic acts. So when we say, be like a man, be a man, we're saying, be a hero. Be somebody who is courageous. Are you your wife's hero? Should be. Are you your children's hero? Are you a hero in the church? Are you a hero at your workplace? Are you a hero in society at large? Young men, that's what you should aspire to be. And you can start now. You could be a hero for your mother. 
But you're, you're watching out. You're taking care of her. <coughs> you're taking care of the responsibilities in the home. I mean, for you to, you know, you, you can do this one or two ways in, in my house. You're going to cut the grass. You're going to cut the grass one or two ways. Either you're going to be dragged off that couch and, and pointed towards the front door and pushed out, and uh, you go and do it, you know, with a bad attitude, drag it as much as you want, you know, keep it, take as long as you have to take it. Or you can be a hero. You can look at the grass and you can say, it's getting long. I need to cut that grass. And I want my mom and dad to, to be pleased with my behavior. And I want them to feel like, wow, I'm a contributor to the household. And, and I want to take care of something that needs to be done. And you can step up. You can, you can see that your mom needs help in some way and come to her aid. Now it starts there. It starts with the little things. Being a hero is not when, you know, it's not just when the gunman all of a sudden comes into the church campus and and you go into your uh, some type of hero act from the perspective of what we see in TV and movies. You know, we need to be heroes in the daily life of things. We see this with Joshua. The same words used when Joshua was commissioned and, and when uh, Joab was preparing for battle. Joab had the Arameans before him. He had the uh, Ammonites behind him. And he said to his brother Abishai, be strong, and let us show ourselves courageous. Let us show ourselves like men for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what is right in His sight. <clears throat> There's a story of uh, a martyr, Polycarp. Maybe you've heard of him in the first century. He was entering the stadium, and there's the claim that there was a voice from heaven that said, Be strong, Polycarp. And play the man. Play the man. Are you playing the man? Be a hero. The fourth one is just goes right along with that. It's be a strong man. These two words are coupled together a lot in biblical literature. Being strong, being a man, being a hero, acting courageously. But I noticed that there are four ways that the Bible uses strength in this way, calling us to strength. First of all, is in our love for God. Notice that you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. We're supposed to be strong in our love for God. I like to go to the gym. I like to think I have a couple of muscles. <laughs> but I don't want to be known you know, as a, as a bodybuilder. I don't even want to be known for somebody who's in good shape. I like to be known for somebody who has low cholesterol, but I'm working on that. <laughs> but I do want to be known for being strong, a strong lover of God. And that's what you should want. Second, we're to be strong in the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs 14, verse 26, it says, In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and His children will have refuge. We're supposed to be strong in the fear of the Lord. 
that we have this awe that we live with in life. This sense of worship, practice the presence of Christ in our lives. We're to be wise, strong in wisdom. Proverbs 24, 5 says, A wise man is strong, and a man of knowledge increases power. What's powerful is to be wise. Man, I tell you, wisdom will help you in every aspect, in every area of life. Seek wisdom, the Proverbs tell us. Cultivate wisdom. We're supposed to be strong, finally, in our dependence upon God. Many passages talk about this. And that's, that's kind of the thing you need to recognize, is that your strength comes from the Lord. Just like we talked about standing firm in the grace of God, well, we need to be dependent upon the strength of God. The only way you're going to make it, through your marriage, through you know, your taking care of your, your parents as they get older, through the challenges of your work, and the challenges of church, and challenges of death, death of a spouse, death of a child, sin, you're messing things up so much in life. The only way you're going to make it is through the strength of the Lord. In Ephesians 6.10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Psalm 27.14, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Just wait for the Lord. There's many, many more verses that teach this, but, but we, we need to cultivate a strength that comes from the Lord. The final thing I want to challenge you with is to be a loving man. That's one of the problems. That's one of the, the symptoms, one of the symptoms of toxic masculinity that people characterize that way is that men are emotionalists. They're stoic. That uh, they're, they're hurtful in what they say and what they do. That should be the case. We need to give the world examples of real men. Men who are, yes, heroes, rocks, people that are standing firm and all of this. But we need to be people who do it all with love. Notice he finishes in verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. A godly man is to be tough. But it's also to be tender. We should have we should have that tender-hearted compassion that uh, Ephesians four in the, from chapter four there he, he says that we're to be tender-hearted compassion. We see this in Jesus, don't we? Jesus was tough. I mean, he called out the Pharisees. He he was not afraid to call people blind guides and hypocrites, brood viper. But he also invited the children and he had women as part of his ministry. People who were seen as the, the lower parts of society, he reached out to Gentiles and strangers. Jesus was compassionate in his healing. Jesus wept and he sacrificed himself to Jesus knew how to love deeply, tenderly, strongly, and sacrificially. That's the kind of man we need to be. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us what that looks like. And this should be a passage that you memorize, that you meditate on, that you dissect, and you try to apply. That you look through these characteristics of love. And you can apply all these things that we've talked about today to this. We need to be alert, firm, heroic, strong lovers of God and people. That should be the chief characteristic of us. That we love God first with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that we love our neighbor as ourselves. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, Love is patient. Are you a hero at being patient with the people in your life? It's a challenge. Are you a hero at being kind? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And kind of sum up, there's, there's a lot of elements to that. But you can sum up some of this with, uh, you know, we're to be heroic in patience, in kindness, in faithfulness, in humility. A humble hero. That's a good, good thought, isn't it? We're to be heroes at being tolerant with people in our lives. Not being provoked by people. Not flying off the handle. If you've got a problem with anger, you've got to deal with it. We can't be men who are bullies in our own houses. They have children that are afraid of us or our wife is afraid of us. This teaches us that we should put up with a lot. And we should cover the rest with love. So men, I call you to play the man. To be a hero at protecting and providing and leading and loving. Father, thank you so much for the example that you gave us by sending your only Son, Jesus Christ, to be the perfect man. He showed us how to love you. He showed us how to love others. And we thank you that His Spirit lives within each one of us. And that we, although we see our sin and we see our failures in many ways, that we can start today and we can be the kind of man that you want us to be. We have your spirit to empower us. We have your grace as a gift to us. We pray, Lord, that you would make us strong. Make us to devour your word, to, to understand and to know what to believe. And that we would be lovers of our, our, our wives and our children. Lovers of the church. That we would be heroic and courageous. Unwavering. God, I want to be that kind of a man. We know that none of us has arrived. We all have our shortcomings. But we pray, Father, that you would help us to recognize our need for each other and our need to uh, perhaps receive counsel or discipleship. 
or to have a, a partner who would pray with us and encourage us. We pray that if anyone here today is, uh, is wanting to grow in these things, that they would seek out help. We pray these things in Christ's name.